look at and if we get time, we may even speed through some of chapter 5 as well. Let me read to you Joshua chapter 4. I'm reading from the NET. I'll read all of chapter 4 down to chapter 5 verse 1 in fact uh, and then chat about that and then maybe skip read chapter 5 as we work through that depending on our time this morning. This is continuing the story of Israel uh, crossing the Jordan about to enter the promised land and this is the conclusion if you like to that crossing. Uh, Verse 1 says, when the entire nation was on the other side, the Lord told Joshua, (coughs) excuse me, select for yourselves 12 men from the people, one per tribe. Instruct them, pick up 12 stones from the middle of the Jordan, from the very place where the priests stand firmly, and carry them over with you and put them, the stones, in the place where you camp tonight. So Joshua summoned the 12 men he had appointed from the Israelites, one per tribe. Joshua told them, go in front of the ark, of the Lord your God in the middle of the Jordan. Each of you is to put a stone on his shoulder according to the number of the Israelite tribes. The stones will be a reminder to you. When your children ask someday, why are these stones important to you? Tell them uh, how the water of the Jordan stopped flowing before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. When it crossed the Jordan, the water of the Jordan stopped flowing. These stones will be a lasting memorial for the Israelites. The Israelites did just as Joshua commanded. They picked up 12 stones according to the number of the Israelite tribes from the middle of the Jordan as the Lord had instructed Joshua. They carried them over with them to the camp and they put them there. Joshua also set up 12 stones in the middle of the Jordan in the very place where the priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant stood. They remained there to this very day. Now the priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant were standing in the middle of the Jordan until everything the Lord had commanded Joshua to tell the people was accomplished in accordance with all that Moses had commanded Joshua. The people went across quickly and when all the uh, people had finished crossing, the ark of the Lord and the priests crossed as the people looked on. The Reubenites, the Gadites and the half-tribe of Manasseh crossed over armed for battle ahead of the Israelites just as Moses had instructed them. About 40,000 battle-ready troops marched past the Lord to fight on the plains of Jericho. That day the Lord brought honour to Joshua before all Israel. They respected him all his life just as they had respected Moses. The Lord told Joshua, instruct the priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant of the Law to come up from the Jordan. So Joshua instructed the priests, come up from the Jordan. The priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord came up from the middle of the Jordan and as soon as they set foot on dry ground, the water of the Jordan flowed again and returned to the flood stage. The people went up from the Jordan on the tenth day of the first month and camped in Gilgal on the eastern border of Jericho. Now Joshua set up in Gilgal the twelve stones that he had taken from Jordan. He told the Israelites, When your children someday ask their fathers, What do these stones represent? Explain to your children, Israel crossed the Jordan River on dry ground. For the Lord your God dried up the water of the Jordan before, uh, before you while you crossed over. It was just like when the Lord your God dried up the Red Sea before us while we crossed it. He has done this so all nations of the earth might recognise the Lord's power and so you might always obey the Lord your God. And chapter 5 verse 1, When all the Amorite kings on the west side of the Jordan and all the Canaanite kings on the sea coast heard how the Lord had dried up the water of the Jordan before the Israelites while they crossed, they lost their courage and there was not even breath for fear. 
of the Israelites. Dramatic story, isn't it? It's all about one thing. See if we can get that together. Um, I've entitled this message, uh, The Crossing Remembered, Lest We Forget, because that's why it's told to us in the scriptures. It's recorded for an audience as they were reflecting back upon their Israel, their nation's history and how they came into the land and what they did to enter the land. And they're probably now looking back and remembering it because they've now been exiled from the land hundreds of years later. So it's recorded for them to remember, to remember what God did and to remember how Israel responded to what God did and for that to have an impact in their ongoing lives. We do this a lot in our lives already. We have memorials. I come from a small country town and many of you will be aware of memorials in your own lives as well. In my small country town, Narendra, there is a very large monument, dead centre of town, in a park in the centre of town. And it's like a war memorial. And on it are listed all of the names of the people who fought in the war, World War I, World War II, and who gave their lives, who died. A war memorial. We value memorials. There's all sorts of ones. There's national ones, Christmas and Eastern. You can see photos up there. Anzac Day, Australia Day. <clears throat> there are state ones. There's, I think that's the king, isn't it, holding up? Never want to forget that, do we? There are personal ones, like birthdays, anniversaries. These are good, they're helpful, they're appropriate. They help us to remember as well as to make progress, but to celebrate together and to give thanks. Well, that's the context of what this chapter is about, that God instructed, this is not Joshua's idea, this is God's idea, to take 12 stones and to build a memorial. I want to quickly rehearse the story for you and then go on to the purpose and what this application is to us about memorials. The nation of Israel has spread very wide. There is almost 2 million of them. So not all of them are going. Two and a half tribes are staying on the uh, eastern side of the Jordan. So there's 1.5, 1.8, whatever, a large number of people. And they're spread along the banks uh, of the Jordan River. And if the priests have gone in, as we looked at last week, and the river has stopped flowing from Adam way up in the north, which is about 18 miles. What's that, 30k? Something like that. Way up north and all the way down to the Dead Sea is just now... um, dry ground and Israel is lined up Um, at least well we don't know we're not told but my guess is at least a thousand abreast there's 1.8 million of them going to cross this if they lined up 10 abreast and they did that it would take several days wouldn't it marching past so they lined up wide and they went across quickly pushing their carts and carrying their possessions and mums carrying kids and you know armed with all that they owned and possessed, finding their way across this, and in the meantime, staying a distance of 2,000 cubits, about a kilometre away from the Ark of the Covenant, which is stationed dead centre, opposite Jericho. So here is this stationary Ark of the Covenant and the priests standing there for what must have been hours, holding the Ark of the Covenant as instructed, and the people, at least a kilometre either side of them, vacant land, and the people rushing across. Um, and then reassembling on the other side. That's the sort of picture we have. Um, The people passed before the Ark of the Covenant. It was God watching his people obey them, enter the promised land. And here is God, as David reminded us last week, standing in the middle of the Jordan, effortlessly holding it back. The Lord wanted to imprint, to saturate 
Israel's mind with the understanding that their God can do anything. They're about to go into a land where it's going to be uh, difficult with lots of oppositions and God wanted to imprint on their minds that he is the God who can do the impossible. There's an old song, isn't there? Got any rivers you think are uncrossable? Got any mountains you can't tunnel through? God specialises in things thought impossible. He can do what no other can do. Not sure where you're at in your life, but maybe that's for you. Maybe you need to be reminded today that our God is a sovereign, powerful God. So all the nation has crossed, and then as instructed by God, then 12 men return, pre-selected by Joshua under God's instructions, and they are now instructed by Joshua, return to where the ark is standing. And all Israel's watching. These 12 men, one from each tribe, approach um, the Ark of the Covenant. See the 12 men kneel before the Ark and pry loose some large rock, which they then place on their shoulder and they exit again onto the side where Israel has now gone. To the symbol-oriented Israelites, the significance of those 12 stones, I think, would have been obvious for them. 12 stones... 12 tribes, taken or delivered out of the river. And then when they get to their campsite, Gilgal, these things are placed together, demonstrating that they are one nation, that they are to be united. Now, when they did get to Gilgal, a place which means where the reproach has been rolled away because their previous slavery has gone, their previous disobedience has now ended, there is a memorial that God once marked. And was it shaped like that? If you count those stones, apparently there are 12 of them there. Was it one on top of the other? Or was it stacked? Well, we're not told, are we? But nonetheless, there was something about this mound of stones which was unusual, which would cause children to ask questions. What's so important about those stones? Why do we remember them? Or why do we visit these things on national holidays or whatever? So the people watching all of this happening, um, following the instructions of God very, very carefully. And Joshua, greatly encouraged, he must have rerun this in his mind over and over and over again, particularly in some of the situations he would face in a few years' time where he needed reminding that God is a sovereign God and he is in control and he can do whatever he wants. My job is to follow orders. My job is to be fully obedient. Gilgal, this place with memorials, let's go to the next slide, um, became the headquarters for the conquest of the promised land. Joshua would revisit this place to reflect and to remember, to remind himself. One of the suggestions is that when God instructed Joshua to set up these stones, it's a bit like the old gold miners, you know how they used to put a stake in the ground and say, this land is mine? One commentator suggests that's what God's doing here. He's putting a memorial stones in place and he's staking a claim. This land is mine and it's for my people. Be that as it may, I think the suggestion of that reminded Israel, though diverse in 12, are yet united as one. That their God did this. These stones were in the river and now they're here. He did it. And that is a reminder to us to conduct our lives under his sovereign will to conduct our families, our business, all of the areas of our life as he is watching. Here are three reasons why I think God got them also to put the memorial in place. Number one, to remind them of God's power, to remember what God did and to encourage them therefore. 
as we look back and we reflect upon some of our national um, memorial days, Easter, Christmas, we look back and we remember what God did and we also give thanks. God is the God who overcomes obstacles and at the end of the chapter it says, and the reason God did this was so that you might always obey the Lord your God. The memorial is there to stimulate future action. Second reason, God has memorials in place, or this memorial in place, to teach the next generation. God is concerned that the children um, learn, understand and respond to the reality of God in their lives. It evokes these sorts of questions in kids who are naturally curious. Why are these stones important? And God says, when you get asked that question, tell them the story. Tell them what happened. God knows that it's important for us to remember his activity in our lives because it's healthy for us spiritually and we have a tendency to want to forget. That's why Jesus gave us the Lord's Supper. This do in remembrance of me. Not only do we have a tendency to forget just within ourselves, we have an evil one who is around who seeks to assist us in forgetting. We quite easily remember the bad things. We forget the good things. That's a natural sinful tendency that we have in this fallen world. And God encourages his people then, us today, to put in place some memorials. The third reason is not just to remember God's power, not just to teach the next generation. Memorials, this memorial is there, so is a testimony to the nations. God is concerned about us, but God is concerned about all people. Verse 24 of that chapter again says, He has done this so that all the nations of the earth might recognise the Lord's power. Memorials were there to demonstrate God's activity in the world was being remembered so the nations might hear. And if they hear the story, then they would have a chance to know there is a God and he did this. And if they come to understand that, then they have a choice to submit to him, to believe, to respond. God acts in our lives so that others might have the opportunity to respond. God's activities in our lives has a message for others. It's not just all about us. An application of this for us is that we likewise, as followers of the Lord Jesus, are God's living stones. We are his memorials in this world. We, by our life, testify to his reality in us. Our story of what God has done, our testimony about how he saved us is to be shared with others that they might hear, know and have a chance chance to respond. But it's not just our story about salvation. Few of us are going to have the opportunity of having, you know, Jordan Rivers divide and great miracles like that. Some of us will, but not all. But we all have stories to tell about God's provision, God's guidance, God's answers to our prayers. We all have those stories. They may not all be dramatic, but they are nonetheless real. We ought to know these stories, tell these stories, encourage one another with these stories. Malachi chapter 3 verse 16 talks about how the people of God used to gather together and talk about the Lord and the things he had done. And the passage says, and God took note and a book of remembrance was written before him. We are encouraged through this story and the memorials being set up to rehearse the things of God to one another and to the next generation. We, like Israel, are involved in a battle. 
For us, it's a spiritual battle. It likewise requires both armour and consecration. The armour will come from the word of God. The consecration will demonstrate the fruit of the spirit in our life. And there are spiritually healthy habits for us as members of God's community to be engaged in, that we might and not only encourage one another, but that we might, by our lifestyle, be a memorial to the community around us. Attending church publicly is one of those things. Celebrating the Lord's Supper together. Celebrating Christmas and Easter especially. A significant spiritual markers in a journey. Not just ours, but in the community. And let me challenge you. Often, when long weekends come round, when Easter turns up, when Christmas comes, often the first thing in our brain is holidays. We get a chance to go away for an extended period of time. Let me challenge you and plant a seed of next Easter, next Christmas, don't think holidays. Think great spiritual opportunity to plant a marker in our community for Jesus to support the Easter, the Christmas programs that are going on and to be actively engaged in inviting and bringing the community and being here to reach them. Spiritual memorials. We need to build memorials into our own lives. We all need to have a pile of stones somewhere. Why? Well, when God works in us, It's something very much worth treasuring, isn't it? And it's going to take effort to do so. We have a tendency, as I've said, so easily to forget. We remember the slights, we remember the injuries, we remember the disappointments and the hurts that have happened to us so easily. But God's kindnesses, God's blessings, God's goodness to us so easily slips away. In the parable of the soil, there is that first soil where the seed is planted And then the birds of the air come and take the seed away. And Jesus explains it. That's a spiritual activity that goes on. That in the spiritual battle we are engaged in, the evil one will be seeking to remove the seed of the word of God from us, its impact in our lives. The challenge of Joshua chapter 4 is to remember what God has done and to share it with others. That was the truth for Israel and that's the truth for us. So what can we do? Well, here are some very practical suggestions. Um... I keep a journal. I encourage you to do the same. Uh, Whether you do it daily or whether you just write in the highlights of what God has said to you, what God has done for you, how God has been challenging you, whether it's answers to prayer or significant events in your life or in the lives of other members of your family, record it and encourage yourself by rereading it. Take photos. Often for me, what I try to do is to buy something when something significant happens. Often it's a book. I try to buy something that will be a physical, visible reminder to me that reminds me of when I was there, when this happened. It reminds me of what God said or a significant spiritual transaction in my life. Tell stories to one another, as I've said, add to our own stories and don't forget to teach the next generation. Being a parent is a wonderful blessing. It's a lot of hard work, but it's a great blessing. And then being a grandparent is even better. And some of you are great, great grandparents. You have incredible opportunity if you're a follower of the Lord Jesus.
Rhonda and I are the first generation of believers in our family. But for some of you, you're third, fourth, fifth generations. Great blessing for your family. Pass it on. Buy DVDs, buy CDs, buy books, buy Bibles, buy whatever. Talk to the kids, pray for them. Set the example at, at the dinner table by talking about the things of God, not just the things of the world. Raise the spiritual profile. So, Joshua chapter 4 is all about um, Israel following and obeying exactly what God wanted them to do and God said, build a, a pile of stones to remember this. If you look through the chapter, then you'll find, in, I won't read them out to you, but verse uh, 2, verse 3, verse 4 and 5, verse 8... 10 and following um, 12, the end of 12 and then all the way down to 24 is all about obedience. God said do this and then Joshua went and did it and then Joshua told the people to do it and they went and did it and the people did what they had they'd promised Moses they would do. The whole chapter is filled with a sense of what we have been told to do, we will do. And when they did, they were successful. The lesson's obvious, isn't it? We are to do what God has commanded us to do and when we do, we will be successful. We will achieve God's purpose, God's plan, God's will in our life. Uh, Well, let me go very quickly. I have three minutes. In Joshua chapter 5, verse 1 is about the condition of the Canaanites, how God had struck fear into their hearts and all that is is a platform. God was providing an opportunity for his people because chapter 5 is likewise all about obedience and it's a test. Will you do exactly what I have told you to do? They did in chapter 4 and they do again in chapter 5. Um, so chapter, verse 1 is simply saying the, Israelites, the Canaanites are so scared, so worried about the Israelites they weren't going to attack them. So here is Israel, nearly 2 million of them, camped out in the open, uh, susceptible to attack. And the very first thing God wants them to do, verses 2 to 9, is circumcise the men. They are Joshua, God says. What I want you to do is to incapacitate your army. That's got to be a test for Joshua. But it was also a test for the people. And the amazing thing is, they did it. There was no complaining, there was no uh, grumbling. They just simply did it. God was certainly protecting them, but he was also testing them in this thing of obedience. The second test that comes um, where it's not just simply circumcise the people, But in verse 10 and following, it's about um, celebrating the Passover together. Uh, Joshua um, instructs the people very carefully. They hadn't done this for 40 years. They hadn't circumcised the people, the young boys, for 40 years. 40 years of disobedience. They hadn't celebrated the Passover for 40 years. Um, And now they do it. And verse 10 and 11, take note, God records in detail how they did it precisely. God takes note when we obey him. And then after the circumcision and uh, after the Passover, then there is the, um, the eating together of the crops of the land for the very first time. And linked with that, verse 11, is the cessation of the manna. What God had miraculously provided for 40 years has now ceased. This is a new day for Israel. This is a new time. Um, and as the people simply did what God told them to do, then they found that God was active and they experienced God's work in their lives. Let me give that to you again because that's the key to this. When Israel did what God wanted them to do, 
then they found that God worked and they were successful in doing what God wanted them to do. It all comes down to obedience. Do what God says and then see what God will do in our lives, in our church. We are to measure our life by our obedience, not by what we know, not by what we read or hear, not by how busy or active we are, not by what we say. All those things are important. But at the end of the day, we measure our love for the Lord Jesus by our total obedience to him, doing exactly what he wants. The children of Israel, it says in here, and God takes note of it, is that they crossed the Jordan River quickly. They did what God wanted them to do quickly. We need to do the same. When we know God's will, we need to do it quickly. We need to do it gladly, not grudgingly, not resentfully, not inwardly wishing we didn't have to, but rather gladly. That our full pleasure is to do exactly what he wants us to do. We are to do it faithfully and we are to do it totally. Maybe you've never made a full surrender of your life to the Lord Jesus. If you've never done that, then let me encourage you to hurry to do so. Or perhaps you're a person where you have at some point in your life, you did surrender your life and you thought totally. But now over the circumstances of time, life or whatever has crept back in and you find yourself slightly drifting. Well, let me encourage you to return to the cross and to again re-surrender your life totally, fully, completely to him because it's in doing exactly what he wants us to do that we'll experience his blessing, his work in our world for our children's sake and for the sake of the community around us. Incapacitate your army, Joshua, and he did. Celebrate the Passover, and he did. Do so exactly as I have commanded you, and he did. Let us do the same. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we acknowledge that this is an old story but a story that has some spiritual applications for us. Lord, just as Israel obeyed and experienced your power, so Heavenly Father, help us likewise to be fully surrendered, completely obedient, no holding back and being even obedient in the details And Lord, we ask that you might very graciously demonstrate your mighty hand in our community, that people might hear, that people might come to know that you are the living God and that you are in our midst, and that people might respond in faith and submission. Lord, use us as living memorials in our community, in our families. We ask for the sake of Jesus. Amen.